Episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these corona infested streets. So happy Sunday again, everyone. I hope you guys had a great weekend. The weather was actually cooperating up here in New York. So I hope that you all had some chance to go outside and get some sort of fresh air. So before I go any further, (laughs) I have been getting text messages, DMs, you name it, from all of my friends who live either outside of Brooklyn in a different state asking me what the hell is going on with Brooklyn. Now, (laughs) for those of you who are not aware, there's been a lot of activity going on in Brooklyn in the last week or so, right? Primarily stemming from the Jewish community. Now, (sighs) I don't even know what to say. I mean, we all know what time it is when it comes to, you know, Jewish relations, right? And the police. We know that this is, we're in the season of their holidays, right? They're, you know, I don't, what was it? Rosh Hashanah. I don't think Yom Kippur happened yet. Maybe it did. Either way, Um, we are in the Jewish holiday season and especially in the Northeast, especially in Brooklyn, we know that they go hard for their holidays as they should. It's a celebration, you know, for, for them. It's something that happens every single year where nobody is surprised by the celebrations that take place. Right. However, because we are in a global pandemic, um, celebrations of more than like, I don't know, 10 people, 50 people in the streets are not necessarily encouraged at this time. We know that, especially in Brooklyn, that the Jewish community rolls deep. If they are having a celebration, it is not going to be 50 people. It'll be 500 people. We know this, right? So a lot of this drama that people have been alerting me to, I mean, I've seen it on the news, but I've been getting, you know, text message concerns are stemming from the Jewish community. So apparently, I think the first, you know, situation or whatever took place last week um, on October 6th. I forgot what day that was, but October 6th, that was uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday on Tuesday. So there was a video released of NYPD um, trying or attempting to break up an Orthodox Jewish dance party in Crown Heights. Now, I had read up on this one. I had seen some news clips. Um, There was apparently a standoff. NYPD was doing their job telling these individuals you cannot be in these streets um, popping and locking and doing all sorts of things. They did not want to hear it. Um, there were some reports that NYPD did get a little physical. They shoved, I think, a couple of them 
Um, but either way, at the end of the day, the Jewish community won. The NYPD uh, walked away, it seems like, with their tails between their legs. And the dance party continued. Now, a little outrageous, in my opinion, because we all know that if this were individuals of the black community, individuals of maybe the Latino community, um, things would have been different. There would definitely been a couple of shots fired possible casualties uh definitely some 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 tear gas definitely some tasers it would have definitely been a different situation but i digress so now after this um there was a lot of reports in the news about de blasio and cuomo getting slammed for pretty much blaming the coronavirus upticks um, in certain hotspot zones and attributing them to the Jewish community, right? They had even planned or talked about shutting down non-essential businesses in certain zip codes that were primarily in areas where the Jewish individuals um, resided. So I thought that that was it, but the Jewish community, they do not play. <laughs> they do not play games. There was a bunch of, I don't know if there were tires being burnt in the streets. They were definitely burning things in the streets in protest um, of, I guess, all that's going on. NYPD trying to stop their festivities, you know, the government basically blaming coronavirus on them. So they've been protesting and burning things in the street. So my friends are like, we're not coming to visit you <laughs> because we don't know what's going on in Brooklyn. And also, um, are you okay? Because we know that you don't live too far from this, from these protests and these activities. We want to make sure that you're good. Guys, I'm good. I mind my business. I know, you know, I, I know where to go. <laughs> I don't live in their backyard, so nothing is being burned. I don't even smell the burnt whatever it is that they're burning. So we're good. Thank you for your concern. However, though, back to issues in Brooklyn. Last night, my girl sent me, you know, we all have the Citizens app, and the Citizens app lets us know what's happening. There was apparently a shutdown on the Brooklyn Bridge. But what what was interesting, I thought, oh, the Jewish community, they are at it again. They are protesting again, shutting things down. All right, fine. But it was not the Jewish community. It was the Armenians. They had the Armenian flag. They were protesting on the Brooklyn Bridge. They were shutting things down, causing all this backup. Armenian flags were all over the place. They had their little bullhorns. I couldn't make out what they were saying. But apparently the Armenians are protesting and I'm not sure why I was trying to figure out why. But at this point, I feel like everybody is protesting and I don't know why. Aside from the Jewish community, I have no idea why the Armenians were protesting. I wasn't sure if it had anything to do with the Kardashians. I was wondering, you know, is it a protest that the Kardashians are no longer on the air? Like, I don't know why the Armenians would be up in arms. I've heard no reports of anything that would include the Armenians. In fact, I didn't even know there was a large Armenian. Um, I mean, I know the Arme I mean, they're everywhere, but I didn't even know there was a large Armenian community that would warrant a protest of anything. Either way, the confusion is real. Um, but I said all of that <laughs> to say this. Brooklyn is going crazy. 
as it always does. But I mean, people are concerned. We are okay, guys. For the most part, we are okay. Um, those of us who live in hot spots, I mean, we're functioning as you know, I mean, we're functioning. There's really nothing more to say about that. But um, I just wanted to say that we are okay. <laughs> I know to the outside world, it looks like things are going crazy and we're getting into Armageddon, but we're fine. You know, this isolated protests taking place, but you know, nothing crazy is going on here. Either way, moving on, moving along. <laughs> so today we have a very special guest by the name of Victor Collins. So Vic is a real estate guru originally from North Carolina, but currently residing in the A. For those of you who don't know what the A is, it stands for Atlanta. <laughs> he is going to talk about real estate and how powerful real estate can be in bringing forth generational wealth in the black community. So you definitely want to make sure that you tune in, you keep it locked to hear what he has to say. I definitely learned a lot. I know you guys will too. So make sure you keep it locked. But before we get into the meat of the show, you know, it's time for our preliminaries. So it is now time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. Do you understand? definition. Um, what does keep keep mean? What's on fleek? Can you use it in a sentence? Pop it in one fleek. Is it lit? And it's gonna be lit. Major key. It's time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. So this week's Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week is Trump Lung. An appropriate nickname for COVID-19, a.k.a. the novel coronavirus that has led to a worldwide pandemic named after Trump to mark his monumental malfeasance, which will result in at least hundreds of thousands of deaths in the United States. Example, Bob's in the hospital. He caught a case of Trump lung. Now, I feel like at some point I'm going to stop with this Urban Dictionary business. I mean, it's great to learn some of these words, but we we know nobody's using calling coronavirus Trump lung. We know this. Um, but I would like to comment very briefly <laughs> on this Trump fiasco because I didn't talk about it last week. I tr- I'm trying my best not to invoke this man's name, but it's so hard. He gives us so much. But I mean, seriously. He apparently has the coronavirus. I don't know if he's fully cured yet, but it's what I can't stand is is just I can't stand how he even in having the virus is out here perpetrating fraud, telling people that it's okay, don't be afraid of it. And the sad part is we have millions of Americans like listening to him, right? Like like really listening to him and believing the words that he's saying like this man when he made his like debut from the hospital i felt like he was about to pass pass out roll over he could his nostrils were like flaring he could barely breathe you could tell he could barely breathe i mean it was crazy but either way um trump lung is the word of the week but i don't 
really foresee anybody using Trump lung. I'm going to put up a poll this week because I am thinking of actually replacing Urban Dictionary, uh, at least not do it every week, but maybe once a month um, with another segment. So um, I'm going to do a poll to see whether or not you guys, because some of you guys actually like the Urban Dictionary and I like it too. I just feel like the words have been so lame lately. So Either way, <laughs> that is the word of the week. Please follow us on According to RP um, on Instagram to partake in this poll that will, you know, that will be put up this week. So now it's time for the big up of the week. Watch it. And you feel big up, big up. All of the women, them big up, big up. All of the girls, them big up, big up. All of the women, them big up, big up. So this week's Big Up of the Week goes to none other but the fly that entered into the debate hall. Now, I watched this debate. I watch all the debates, but I watched this debate. And let me tell you something. You know, I'm pretty sure the Trump-Pence camp are like, they cannot believe that they were upstaged by the fly. I mean, I feel almost like that the... Um, Kamala Harris or the Kamala Harris and Biden ticket are also feeling a little slighted that this fly has taken the show like every single meme that I have seen that really talks about this debate well I, actually you know let me back up a little bit the 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 Kamala the Kamala memes are, are quite interesting too but they're like the same right it's just about her facial expressions and stuff but the fly the fly memes have been so creative. For those of you who, again, do not follow me on social media, go ahead and do so according to RP. I posted a couple of the fly memes, um, the, some of the best of the best, I think. And it's hilarious. But then it's really in having the conversation with my mother last week that I realized that I'm like, this fly situation is, is actually much bigger than it is. When you have like your parents really like asking you in-depth questions about the debate, and their in-depth question is, Rita, where did this fly come from? <laughs> like this was, my mom literally was, she called me. She's like, hey, Rita, did you watch the debate? I'm like, yeah, I did. She's like, where did this fly come from? <laughs> and that was like, that was the pressing question. That was the takeaway from the debate. It was, where did the fly come from? So the fly gets the big up of the week because I don't think I could have done it any better. This fly, I believe somebody counted the minutes. He was on um, Pence's head for, I think, about two minutes. Like he was like, I am here. I am here to do a job. Y'all going to see me and y'all going to talk about me. And that's exactly what took place. So big up to the fly that entered into the debate hall. I look forward to seeing your appearance in future debates. So now with every high, you guys know that there is a low. So this week's Womp Womp of the Week goes to Tory Lanez. I was looking for some, I was really looking for Womp Womps this week, but I was like, you know what? A lot of the stuff that I would want to talk about has been talked about already. Um, how many times can I give the womp womp of the week to Trump, to the NYPD, to de Blasio, you know? So I, ha I had to give a little bit of a break. I had to kind of switch gears a little bit. 
So we had talked about the Meg Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez case very briefly with Paul Bromley, I think a couple of months ago. Um, but I never actually officially gave him the womp womp of the week. So this week it goes to him. You know it's serious when NPR is talking about Tory Lanez, right? So again, for those of you who don't know, Tory Lanez, the musician, the music artist, um, was recently charged, I think as of last Thursday, charged with um, assault of a female friend, right? We all know who this female friend is, though. We know that it's Meg Thee Stallion. We could put the clues together. We know it's Meg Thee Stallion. However, the paperwork kind of kept it vague, did not name the individual, but we know it's Meg Thee Stallion. Either way, the charges were filed by the L.A. District Attorney's Office, and it included a assault with a semi-automatic firearm, um, personal use of a firearm, and carrying a loaded weapon in a vehicle. In addition, he faces a gun allegation charge that he personally inflicted great bodily harm. And we know that he did because we saw the picture of Megan's toe with a hole in it. So, yeah. Apparently, you know, I think what makes him the womp womp of the week, aside from him shooting Megan the foot, and being, you know, a piece of trash as he is for all of that. It's his defense. Like his defense is I was too drunk. I don't understand. I don't understand. And from what I from what I do understand though, <clears throat> I don't believe that his blood alcohol level was so high in which he was, I don't know, delusional, in which he was not of any type of sound mind, that he was so so out of this world, so in a blacked out state that he had no idea who he was, what he was doing. None of that has come out. But apparently his defense is that he was too drunk. I know that in some cases, uh, mental capacity can serve as a mitigating factor. I don't know under these circumstances and with, again, the information acquired prior to about his drunken state and his levels, that this is going to be a winning argument. What I anticipate or what I hope, at least, is that he is charged and that he is deported back to Canada. You know, in this in this period of time where we are calling for black women to be respected and for black women to be protected, here you have an individual who hails at maybe four foot eleven. I don't even know if he's five foot, having the audacity to to flex his Napoleon complex you know, walking around with a piece because that's probably the only way he feels powerful among, you know, women who are taller than five feet. And he thinks it's okay that, you know, he can get into an argument and bust some shots, right? And shoot somebody and, and actually injure somebody and could have could have severed her entire toe. And then where would we be without Meg the Stallion popping and locking, right? Throwing it back and, you know, going down low and shaming all of us who have, you know, knees that are deteriorating. Where would we be? So the womp womp of the week goes to Tory Lanez because you don't you don't do that. <laughs> you just don't do it. And then you don't try to disparage, you know, the individual that you have victimized on top of that. It just doesn't make any sense. But either way, we are moving on to the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very special guest, Vic Collins. Vic, please say hello. 
Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vic, thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's show. Uh, thank you for having me. And I look forward to uh, hopefully giving your guests some, some, some nuggets today that they'll enjoy. Definitely. I mean, I've looked through your bio and I can say that you are a very, very accomplished individual. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been a long road and still is. So um, just, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of people guide me on, on my journey. So hopefully I can do the same for some other people for sure. Okay, great. So, I mean, I guess I just want you to maybe just start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm Vic Collins. I uh, grew up in North Carolina, you know, originally from Durham, um, small, medium-sized town, I guess. Um, And I uh, went to school in Greensboro, at North Carolina A&T study engineering kind of been, that's kind of been my road um, post undergrad um, career for a long time in corporate. And then just kind of transitioned out of that space into more entrepreneurial, social entrepreneurial space, just because I felt like it was uh, more meaningful, more purpose driven. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is how I got into real estate full time, um, having a, you know, a practice here and in North Carolina and soon to be South Carolina and Florida. So um, that's kind of like a high level of who I am, where I'm from, and what I'm doing. Okay. So I am actually interested in the real estate portion of your career. Because I know you did, you've done a lot in the education space as an engineer, which is actually very interesting in and of itself. Um, but I think, you know, the real estate part is what's really, really intriguing to me because whenever I find a, a real estate expert, I try to like pick their brain as much as possible because the demographic of the people who tune into this particular um, platform, they are individuals who are interested heavily in real estate. I find that there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions when it comes to real estate, particularly in the black communities. And so... I just kind of want to get your understanding of, you know, what is the current state of real estate right now, you know, with this pandemic and for the individuals who are interested in, you know, potentially whether it's purchasing their own home or getting into that investment property, um, you know, world, like what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'll answer, I'll answer your questions uh, with a series of responses. So I got into real estate. My mentor got me into real estate a long time ago, over ten years ago. And um, part of you know how what made that happen was exactly the conversation we're having here is how do we build some generational wealth uh, within the black community? And she kind of stressed the importance of you know you have to you know have property and be able to leverage property um, to kind of create other avenues for generate generating wealth. So. Um, I wasn't really on board, you know, with the in the beginning because you know, when you get started, it's not like you're buying a dream home or anything like that. It was, hey, we're going to go shopping. I'm going to show you how to do this. And then we would go to these neighborhoods. I'm like, I don't want to live in that neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, you know, but, you know, you start putting two and two together. And she's like, you know, you know, why are you paying $1,000 for, you know, a month for rent when you could own this house? Like own, right? I'll own this house for mm-hmm. 400 bucks a month. Um so then, you, you know, when you start 
doing the economics on like ownership and equity and understanding that kind of thing, you really start to understand the power um, that it has in being able to change your life and, and create some wealth for your family. So um, the current state of the market it is always a good time for real estate. And no matter what people are telling you, um, it swings, right? There are seasons where, you know, it's a seller's market and then there are seasons where it's a buyer's market. And so when people are looking at the state of the economy now and they're saying, eh, you know, you know, I don't know if um, it's a good time to buy. It's always a good time to buy real estate. Um, it's just being able to do the numbers on what you're purchasing and understanding how you can leverage it, whether you, you want to do like a buy and, buy and hold type of investment. Um, most people think of it in terms of flipping a property, but it just kind of depends on your own goals. Um, I would say now we're more so into a buyer's market where we're seeing prices of houses come down a lot, right? And buyers kind of control the transaction a little bit better with their terms. Um, and then of course, people are always talking about the interest rates, the mortgage interest rates being low. Mm-hmm. And so that's almost, you know, the lower, the better, right? It's almost you're borrowing free money to, to capitalize on financing a home. So um, yeah, it's, you know, it's just being smart with, you know, how you make the purchase um, I would say personally, if you're looking to buy, it's a great time to buy. It's understanding the market that you're in. I live in the Atlanta market. Uh, Atlanta's hot. Um, the Charlotte market, Charlotte market's hot. So you just kind of got to understand where you are. It may not be the case in New York or yeah. LA, but you know, <laughs> um, in, in some parts of the of the country, in a lot of parts of the country, you can um, with things being so virtual, you can you can buy property and just kind of hold it or or flip it and you know turn it into fast cash. Okay. So you said the market is hot in Atlanta and you, I don't know how much, you know, but New Yorkers love to migrate. Yeah. A lot of North Northerners are coming down South. For sure. Oh yeah. They love, <laughs> I mean, I have, I have several cousins who are down there and I have friends who have, you know, recently made the move. Um, so for individuals who are interested in that investment, property, right? So maybe let's say, yeah, maybe in, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, I'll move down to Atlanta. But since it's hot, you know, maybe I should look into purchasing a property there when I live in New York. How is that? Because I've heard of the absentee landlord and how a lot of people are very skeptical and afraid even to own property in states where they do not reside. So what's your opinion (laughs) on that? I own several properties in other states. Uh, you know, I used to work in Ohio, so that's obviously where the bulk of my real estate assets are. But things are so virtual these days um, where you can conduct um, a lot of the transactions. It's, it's, almost like, it's almost like mobile banking or anything we do mobile. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you're going to pursue having properties in other places, um, just kind of understanding how you can make that work for yourself. So for me, I have a property manager um, who manages those properties and just kind of knowing that people say, well, I don't want to pay a property manager, but that, um, that transaction fee or that fee they charge is the, is tax deductible. So understanding the tax code and, and how you can make that work is also a big part of, you know, knowing how you can, you can make real estate investing work in other States. So um, for me, I'm happy when I have to pay a property manager or a repair because the income, I need to be able to offset my income somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just kind of one way to do it. I mean, that, that may not be everybody's preference, but, 
you know, you can, it's just a matter of picking up the phone or shooting a couple of emails and being able to manage uh, or micromanage uh, someone you hire to do the, to do that work for you, creating leverage. If you're a true businessman, it's all about creating leverage, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to, we need to be doing income producing activities. I don't want to spend my time worrying about repairs or anything like that. So we hire and outsource it. Okay. So that makes sense because I know a lot of people are into this whole do it yourself thing, you know, HGTV and all these other TV shows have ruined us making us (laughs) think that we all can do everything. Right. And so (laughs) I find that (laughs) this idea of the property manager is actually very critical because uh, people are not always thinking they're thinking about man. Like, do I have to go down there every month to make sure nobody's squatting on my property? Like who's gonna, so I think that's, you know, that's a great point that you make about having a property manager, hiring somebody to, you know, in a sense, manage this property. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of understanding the going, the going rate of that is about seven to 10%, depending on who's managing you know, what type of product you're getting. Some people, it's just the collecting of rent. But in the case you have to evict or, I mean, in my case, my property managers, I'll pay a little bit extra for them to make sure uh, but the gutters are clean and the yards kind of kept up, even though you can build put that into your tenant's contract. But mm-hmm. it's kind of basic maintenance. That way I don't have to go up. I go up to my properties every couple of years. So I'm oh, going wow. in a couple of weeks, but um, just for me to put eyes on it, but I'm kind of really relying on the person I'm paying to kind of um, be my eyes and ears. And for me, that has worked. I've had really, really good experiences and I've had long-term tenants. So it tells me that they're happy. Okay. So that sounds reassuring then. Um, because I think, as you said, the Atlanta market's hot and there's some other markets, you know, in the South, particularly with everything going on with the coronavirus, a lot of people yeah. are moving out of cities, <laughs> right? And or, or major cities. And so, you know, there is this interest now in purchasing elsewhere, but again, there's that reluctance to do so because it's like, you know, I don't live there. What am I going to do? So that is really good to know. Um, so now we talk about, you talked earlier about like just generational wealth and that's how you mm-hmm. got into really uh, this world of real estate, right? Because you recognize that this is how we can um, create generational wealth in the black community. But what exactly does that really mean? Because a lot of, you know, that's a term that we're hearing thrown out more and more now as are, you know, we're becoming more woke and people are becoming right. more pro, uh, pro-black pro and pro-support black business and be your own boss. But what does that truly mean to build generational wealth within the black well, community through real estate? Yeah. So, I mean, we got to take a look at, first of all, you know, we got to understand that real estate is the center of most things. This is the center of commerce, it's the center of everything we do, right? Um, you know, we, we live in real estate, we do, we conduct business in real estate and then when you look at how real estate's taxed, right? Um, you know, property taxes pays for a lot of the public services that we have out there. So it, it really is kind of at the core of like most things we do. And so when I talk about you know build, building generational wealth, first we have to understand you know the roots of you know why you know we are not in a situation we should be in financially. We've never owned anything as a people. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we talk about, you know, people that have come over, um, you know, um, and colonized this, this country and the land was stolen, um, that land was being leveraged to do everything that people are doing today, with, and, you know, in business. And we just haven't had that opportunity. So kind of understanding now, hey, you know, you know, to be able to walk into a bank and to kind of create leverage, 
you know, we don't have a ton of cash um, collectively as, as people. And so in order to, you know, to build that wealth, we have to, you know, we have to create that leverage. And one of the ways we do that is through ownership, you know, owning things. And so um, the power of credit and the power of equity allows us to kind of um, hold our things that we own as collateral um, to uh, get, you know, to build, you know, bigger businesses. So, um, so for me, it's just kind of like, um, when I say generational wealth, it means just kind of being able to um, take, you know, property, um, let it grow, um, collect rent. That's what I'm doing. I, I like to buy and hold strategy, you know, let that, let those rents kind of pay for um, pertinent things like bills. Um, and then once those are paid for um, kind of, cre- you know, taking the, the, the equity in the home and then, you know, doing it again, right. And doing mm-hmm. it again, doing it again, do it again. So for example, like I bought my first property over 10 years ago, I bought it for 50,000, right. If I sold it today, I could sell it for 140,000. Right. Okay. But in between the 10 years, I've also been collecting rents for 10 years and I'm not losing anything um, in terms of the value on the property because we bought at the right price. And we know that, you know, if you buy, if you do that, real estate will appreciate. So it kind of now puts me in a different situation where I could take the cash out of the property and do whatever I want to do with that cash. That's over a hundred thousand. That's even after the capital gains tax. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I want to take that capital gains tax, I mean, that, 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 that equity or the cash out and buy a franchise in a restaurant, I could do that. If I wanted to take that cash out and upgrade and buy four or five more units, I can do that. So when I say generational wealth, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about because then that creates more revenue streams uh, for me to do more things with that money. And so um, whether that's funding a lifestyle that I want to live, whether that's becoming a philanthropist or a giver, um, it kind of just takes me out of the rat race um, and not being dependent on someone else to Mm -hmm. employ me or put me on a certain trajectory in life that they want to put me on. Um, so it creates freedom. And that's what I, that's what I think about when I think about generational wealth is, you know, truly genuinely being free. Okay. And it's interesting, you know, as you say that, you know, it allows you um, this freedom of, you know, not being dependent on, you know, working for the man, right. And, and being able to, you know, to do certain things that you've either never been able to do before. Um, a lot of people are so dependent on, you know, the nine to five structure. And if you think about it, there's really no way, unless you are working for like a, a, a fortune 500, maybe making like three to three to $500,000 a year, 300 to $500,000 a year. Uh, most people will not be able to create such generational wealth with their regular salaries. Right. Right. It's not enough money. And we, and I think that's just the economics and the system that is built to really oppress you. Mm-hmm. And I think people have to really understand the system to understand the power um, in entrepreneurship and the power in um, real estate to pull them through a lot of situations that um, that's kind of built and designed to be against you. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, you've said a, a, a lot that has me thinking, you know, with individuals who are, you know, they're like, wow, this sounds so great, Vic. <laughs> but how now, like, how do I learn these things? Like, how yeah. do I get on, on that path? You know, you were lucky yeah. enough to have 
um, a mentor kind of guide you into this world of real estate, right? Yeah. But many people are, are not so fortunate and they're just like, this is so interesting, but I have no idea where to learn these things. So yeah. like, how would you suggest people, um, you know, inquire and really, I guess, get educated on, you know, real estate and, and investments and things of that nature? Yeah, I think, you know, in real estate, what's critical is learning how you can finance property, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, there are programs out there for you to finance property for as little as three and a half percent down, which is an FHA, mm-hmm. FHA loan. It's a government backed loan. And really all that means is all you need is three and a half percent of the purchase price to to purchase a home, plus the closing costs are a little you know, a few other things in there, but you can walk into a small property with, with as little as four or $5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all you really have to have to acquire property, but people, they don't know. And so um, what you could do is kind of um, research, you know, how do I finance property first? And there's a lot, ton of things out there on Google that'll, that'll tell you, hey, you can go these more conventional, traditional routes of financing. And then there are, you know, unconventional ways of financing property, you know, there are high interest, high interest loans, types of things you can do. Um, you can borrow against credit cards, which I don't advise unless you know how to do that strategy, but there are a ton of strategies out there in your research for how you can acquire property mm-hmm. um, that you can do like personal research on. And then if you have questions, you can reach out to someone like myself and then I can help you understand or think through, you know, your situation what you want to do and what would be a good strategy. Okay. I was just about to ask. You don't you, need a lot of money. That's, that's the, that's, you know, people think you need a lot of money. You don't need a lot mm-hmm. of money to get started. So that's kind of like the misperception that people had. A couple of thousand dollars could get you a house. Okay. So now with you being, you know, primarily, I guess, based in Atlanta, because I know you said that you have other, um, offices that are opening in other, in other locales. Um, do you also serve as like, I don't know, is it a real estate coach of some sort? Um, I don't know if that's the proper term, but <laughs> would you, you know, do you like have, I know some people, they have like courses and classes or you can yeah. you know, book me <laughs> to yeah, coach yeah, you. Yeah. Do you do that? Yeah, so we do. Um, so I, I, so a lot of my, my coaching now is for people in real estate sales, but we do have something in the pipeline coming that's going to be, open for people who are interested in um, investing. So that mm. that's coming down the road. Um, and then we're going to be doing a lot more video content. Okay. Um, just kind of educating people on these types of conversations we're having. And so um, I would just say, stay tuned for that to come. It's coming. Um, and it'll be, it'll be a good thing for people to, to be aware of. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm definitely interested because I, I do know that Atlanta is hot for real estate. Um, and I think that, you know, some of us are, are interested in, in, you know, purchasing or at least, you know, inquiring about purchasing property down there, but you know, yeah. we don't know anybody. So now we know you, Vic. Yeah. It's <laughs> tough. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really all about, you know, economic models. So we can, we can talk through some of those economic models. Um, there are a lot of communities like, um, bigger pockets. I'm sure a lot of people may or may not have heard of bigger pockets, but that's kind of a, uh, investment um, community. Um, and there's a ton more like that. Most people have local RIA, um, RIA associations, which are like real estate investment associations in their city. Um, mm-hmm. we have the, like we have the Atlanta real RIA, um, back in Durham, there's a triangle RIA. So you can, 
search local investment, you know, groups to kind of just learn um, mm-hmm. kind of what your strategy, you may want to be a wholesaling, you may want to be a buy and hold, you may want to be a flipper. So just kind of understanding what you want to do first and what resources are aligned with those those types of investings, I think is the first the first step. And I'm happy to help anyone who has any uh, questions about that. Okay. I'm definitely going to have you um, share your information at the end. Um, but I think that, I mean, I, I know that people are thinking, okay, maybe, <laughs> how do we get in contact with this guy? Because he's speaking yeah. my language. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. My, my goal, my goal is for everybody to just create the lives that they want. And I think it's critical that re- that real estate is a part of whatever it is you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's entrepreneurial, whatever it is you're doing, I think real estate will create the gateway that will open up a lot of financial uh, opportunities for you. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm happy to educate people on that. All right. And so I know Vic, we talked that we talked about, you know, some other things that you've done aside from the real estate, you know, just within the engineering world. And then what was particularly interesting to me, and you had mentioned it briefly was your philanthropic um, endeavors, right? That you, you are in, in, I guess, a philanthropist in a sense in the um, Atlanta area. So I just want you to talk a little bit about that. What, what, what exactly are you doing in that realm? You know, I think, you know, a lot of my philanthropy is tied to public education Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of what I do is tied to a nonprofit. Me and my brothers founded some years ago called C Note, which is create nothing other than excellence um, mm-hmm. nonprofit organization. And what we do is we raise money for um, HBCU college endowments. Okay. And uh, just kind of understanding um, the importance of um, how publicly funded schools are very, are, you're very much dependent on um, the economy and things that are going on in different states and that funding can be cut and usually is cut. Um, and so endowments are a way to sustain um, the health of the universities and keep, you know, uh, students on scholarship mm-hmm. uh, so that they can, uh, you know, continue their studies. So um, we fundraise, we, we partner, we've done partnerships with the Durham Bulls, um, which, you know, we help, they help us fund part of scholarships in Durham and, um, Dirty Bull Brewery. Um, so just different organizations around town, we've kind of partnered and linked up with to kind of they, they help share their vision of the importance of HBCU endowments and, um, they're on board. And, uh, that's how we raise money for, um, for colleges, um, scholarships. Okay. I also sit on a board here called ACE, which is an all-boys uh, male charter school that will be starting in two years. So, um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that we definitely um, need more of these types of schools catered to our young boys. Um, yeah. I don't think that there's enough of them out there. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. Um, unique and um, an opportunity to kind of really focus on uh, young black males, um, their, their studies. So um, kind of giving them the resources we believe mm-hmm. they, they, they need and deserve um, to grow up, to be great, just productive citizens. So uh, All right. 
Well, I definitely want to bring you back. Yeah, (laughs) I want to learn more about that. I want to definitely bring you and your partners on, uh, you know, in the next, I don't know, year or two when you start just to see how that's going. For sure. For sure. So speaking of HBCUs, um, you are an alum or a graduate of an HBCU. That's North Carolina A&T, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. And so um, with everything that you do, you've somehow found time to become an author as well. I'm I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love to write. So it was a natural fit for me to be a part of the HBCU movement experience. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, that's how I won a lot of my scholarships um, at A&T was through writing. So um, I wrote a lot of scholarships. I even helped other people write scholarships to, to, um, for them to win scholarships. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this book was kind of a natural fit for me to uh, share my story and um, looking forward to everyone, everyone uh, learning more about me and that book. So tell us a little bit about the book. So I know that it's entitled The HBCU Experience, North Carolina A&T University, second edition. And it was yeah. a long title. <laughs> yeah. I took that all from memory. I'm like, I'm going to say this all from memory. Um, yeah. But and it's a book that's, that will be released, I think, by the end of September, from what I heard, around September yes. 30th. Right. Um, yeah. And so my, you know, I've spoken to some of, um, I guess, your co-writers with respect to the book. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to kind of get, you know, your personal uh, experience on um, attending an HBCU, you know, what you learned from the HBCU, because there's a lot of misconceptions, I would say, from somebody, I went to a, a PWI, a predominantly yeah. white institution. Um, and I remember when I was in high school, I had friends who were considering going to Spelman. Yeah. And, you know, one of my professors at the time, really great guy, was a mentor to me, um, you know, engaged in a conversation about, you know, well, do you sure you want to go to like, you know, an all black school? The world isn't all black, you know, and that's a lot of, that's the rhetoric that a lot of students Um, who were considering where to go, got from their professors or from their family members. Um, So I am, you know, interested as to how you arrived at the decision to go to an HBCU and then, you know, what your experience was. Yeah. So, you know, growing up up in North Carolina, you know, it's a big um, system, you know, university system. And a lot of those schools are HBCU. So I, I was exposed very early on to, um, what an HBCU um, was um, growing, just growing up in general. But I think how I arrived at my decision was, you know, I, I knew I wanted to be um, an engineer mm-hmm. and um, my options for being an engineer were very limited because I just didn't, I didn't have the resources or the SAT score or the finances to kind of prep the way some people can prep to get into a top tier school, um, like in MIT or just even around the corner of North Carolina state. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my, my options were very limited. And, um, what I had come to realize was there are a lot of opportunities amongst HBCUs that did not label a student as being um, insufficient for not having the scores. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and A&T was one of those schools that, Hey, you know, if you're willing to put in the work, you know, we will give you the opportunity. And so um, I was a little bit skeptical because I, you know, I wanted to go further away from home, yeah. ideally. Um, but then when I, you know, I got to campus, um, 
you know, and they, they gave me a scholarship in academic to start. That made me feel good about myself. And so that was kind of the first um, just kind of thing that let me know that this is kind of the place I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk about the misperceptions, you know, I'm not even, I'm not going to lie and say there aren't misperceptions about how the world works in terms of how people view HBCUs when it comes to getting jobs. It, 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 it's, a, it's a fact of the matter that um, how we live in a system that kind of just supports, you know, off of perception, people that may go to a certain type of school or a certain type of PWI, and it does make it challenging, no doubt about it. But what I found at A&T in particular is, um, you know, I was real prepared going through the, the engineering curriculum. And so um, getting to campus, you know, getting into career services, um, getting my, my, resu- my resume from freshman year into shape, you know, landing co-ops and um, study abroad opportunities, um, landing internships. You know, I did everything they told me to do. And then when, mm-hmm. I, when I graduated, I had the opportunities um, they said that I would have. And so it was up to me to take advantage of those. And a definitely did that. So um, I attribute a lot of that success to a school that provides you with the resources um, if you take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. So um, that was the most important thing. You know, it's not, did, did I party? I did some partying, yes. <laughs> um, I also did a lot of work in engineering program and it wasn't easy. And, you know, I can remember getting my first D, D at a and and just, it was just what wasn't what I expected. Yeah. So I mean, like the work, it, you know, the level of work, depending where you're in, a lot of HBCUs like that, Howard and Hampton, it's not a question of the rigor. You will get the rigor. Um, we're talking about brand branding and imaging, right? And I think ANT does a little bit better job at that to kind of push put its students in a in a in a great light, mm-hmm. so that they can be competitive against the Ohio States and the Chapel Hills and the Georgia Techs. And so um, I don't think there's no, no denying, denying that. That's a whole other topic. Yes. We talk about perception, <laughs> talk about perception yeah. but I think if you're prepared, if you go to the right schools and you're prepared um, and you're polished, mm-hmm. I think you can get out there and compete, but then guess what? There's another hurdle waiting for you, but at least, at least A&T will get you into the door. Yeah. And that's what's important. That's what's important. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So now with respect to your, your part in the book, could yeah. you just share a little bit? I mean, of course we are, we are asking that people go yeah. out and purchase this book, right? So if you could just share a yeah. little snippet. Yeah. About my chapter. Yes. So, so basically, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my chapter um, basically gives you a snapshot into kind of, you know, where I landed when I got to campus, um, under-resourced, um, you know, not, you know, just I'm a first-generation college student and kind of walks you through what that journey looks like in four years um, up until now. And, um, you know, without giving away too much, but, you know, I, I just, I didn't have a lot. And I had, you know, took out a lot of loans and my parents took out, I was fortunate to have parents to take out, help take out loans for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it gives you a snapshot as, as it, as how you can take this situation, that journey, if you ride it the wave the right way and turn it into, into something where, you know, 10 years later, you know, after undergrad, um, it's, you're, it's nothing but success. Right. And then you, mm-hmm. 
you can pour that into other people. So uh, it walks you through my freshman year, you know, for me being like kind of shy and just kind of sticking to myself mm-hmm. uh, to meeting a lot of people to me, you know, journey, joining a fraternity and, um, and, and then some hardships, you know, and just kind of battling some mental hardships um, while I was there to graduating and, and it being everything I could imagine it to be upon graduation. So um, that's kind of like in a nutshell what you'll mm-hmm. get in the story for sure. Okay. Like I, I, I don't want, I don't want too much because you want people to get the book. Yeah. So with yeah. keeping up with that, where, where would we get the book? How can um, we get so, it? yeah, so you can, you can contact, um, well, so we're going to be doing signed copies if you want a signed copy. And if that is what you want, um, we have to do it a little bit different because of COVID we're obviously mm-hmm. we were going to be doing some, some book signings and on-site types of things, but that ha- that has to change a little bit. So um, if you want a copy, you can reach out to me to get a copy of it. it and it also is going to be on Amazon. So um, that's probably going to be one of the best ways people can purchase it okay. um, now. Um, but we'll have, we, we're, we're still hoping to have a couple ways that we can physically get copies into people's hands if they want like signed copies of the book. Okay. And so Vic, how can we get in contact with you? Because I know people are just like, when are they getting to his contact info? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, the best way to contact me is probably via email or social media. And so um, my email is Vic, V-I-C at um, the VJR group, T-H-E, V-J-R group, G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, and then my social media handle is um, BJR the Realtor. So that's BJR T H E Realtor. Um, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. Okay. And if you really, really, really want to really, 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 <laughs> really want to get in contact with me, I, you know, and you want to have a conversation, then you can, you can call me or text me. And that number is 404 987 But I would rather you contact me on social media or email first because <laughs> I'm in my car so much mm-hmm. and I'm with clients so much. Um, that's it's sometimes tough to, to get back um, on a call, but mm-hmm. I'd rather schedule through those other channels and then we can um, put something on the calendar. Okay, cool. And guys, when we are uh, DMing, calling, texting Vic, um, it's for professional purposes only. I always have to put that out there because you have people who it's like, hey, what's up? Heard you on the radio. It's like, "Mm, this is not what the information was there for. (laughs) No, no. Thank you for that disclaimer because I'm I'm not caught off guard. Yes, exactly. Purposes, please. (laughs) I got you. This has been a pleasure. You know, anyone who I just who is looking to get into this space. Um, I highly encourage it. Thank you for allowing me to have this conversation. I really believe in the power of real estate. Um, and I want to share that, you know, I can't, you know, it's, I can't in 45 minutes tell you all of what it has done for me mm-hmm. and what it's setting me up to do, but I want to share that with other people. Definitely. And we appreciate you for doing that because, you know, there are a lot of individuals who are out there being great, but we have no idea how they're being great. They're keeping it all to themselves. And, you know, meanwhile, we're out here looking through the window, like, you know, hoping somebody would drop us a crumb. Power of abundance and law of attraction. I believe in abundance. There's more than enough for everybody. So there's never a situation where I'm not going to share what I don't know. So Mm -hmm. whatever I, whatever I can share and however I can share, I will. 
Okay. Well, thank you so much, Vic. This has been a pleasure for me as well, too. I'm really grateful to have you as a guest on this show, um, not just to talk about the HBCU experience, but to even share about yourself and what you do, because I know that I will definitely be contacting you with respect to the Atlanta market. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to be looking for your, for you to contact me and let's talk. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I will talk to you guys next week. You are listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. Can't wait to come back.